Welcome to the new year, and we are starting the Steady Outdoors podcast up with a new format, Uh, but we will still have the same mission. Our mission will still be to educate and inform the sportsmen of the Commonwealth. Uh, The new format will include our followers' favorites from the last year, but has some new updates. So the followers' favorites are really that we uh, still do an update on what's going on at the national and state level on issues and uh, initiatives and uh, we're going to start adding at uh, at the request of leaders in the conservation community and uh, and listeners that sent us emails last year is a little bit more in-depth educational section on things that are going on so that people feel confident becoming involved so they know how they know why And then we're actually going to start answering uh, listener emails because we had some frequently asked questions last year and uh, we answered those. We, you emailed us and we answered it, but we didn't answer it on the air. And, you know, there's a really good chance that other people have the same question. So we're back. My co-host is still none other than Mr. Ben Bishop, the baseball coach of the Bad News Bears and... The fourth district director of Kentucky Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. How you doing, Ben? I am doing great. And I guess since we've done this last, it's been has it been almost a year. It's not We're been that close. It's not been that long, but it's been a while. Yeah. And so I guess uh, what I've been up to. I mean, a quick rundown. I mean, I would say a great turkey season. Pretty good deer season. Yeah. And duck season uh, so far has been going great. Yes. A lot of uh, some good public land hunting uh, last weekend, for sure. Dude, you crushed the ducks a while back. Yeah, that was uh, that was my best day I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. And and God, they eat good, man. I am. Oh, I know it. Oh. I never thought that, I would uh, be into, you know, I was a big game hunter forever, and I never thought I'd be into waterfowl until I started eating it. And I was like, Jesus, it's so good. No, it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. Probably probably my favorite piece of game meat that there is. It, it, it's hard to beat. I mean, my 90-year-old father-in-law will eat elk. He'll eat deer if it's in, like, spaghetti or nachos. Yeah. He turns his nose up at just about everything else. When he tasted duck, he just was like, oh, can you kill a few more? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> I, I can try, Dad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that is, good, that's man. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I went back to work after being uh, retired for four years. Um, you know, it was looking like a whole different change of scenery was needed. Uh, finished my book, and I didn't know which way I was going to go. And got a call from an old friend, and they're like, "We could really use your help." mentoring these these young folks and uh so i took a job um and it's as a high school teacher but really honestly what i'm doing is is teaching junior rtc and it's it's more like mentoring people and our mission is to uh 
make better citizens, is to motivate young people to be better citizens. But uh, since we've last been on the air, um, Aline and I destroyed the steelhead up on Lake Erie. We had a day and a half, two days of fly fishing on a tributary of the Grand River off of Lake Erie, and we caught 53 steelhead on fly. Then, wow. then we destroyed fish all summer long, everywhere from farm ponds to lakes to off of Key West. We we had a couple of days down there where we caught mahi-mahi like it was going out of style. We came home with like 110 pounds of mahi. Um, but our hunting season was crazy, man. We, um, we both saw monster bucks uh, in the pre-rut. And it, and it for the first time in years we got greedy, and we we hunted those monster bucks all season, and now we're sitting here eating tag soup. Um, and then we also tried for muskies, and have been eating, quote unquote, tag soup there too. But mm-hmm. but uh, like just like you, our duck season's been better than any other before. So. Interesting, yeah, just, interesting it, year. I think, as a whole, I think it sounded like it started out low, and then once the uh, once all the snow came in here, it really, it really picked up. I, I agree. Um, my friends who are better duck hunters than me that have been teaching me how to hunt waterfowl over the last three years um, have done better than me. I've killed a bunch of local ducks, um, mostly wood ducks that were here already mm-hmm. that I was able to get in on flooded timber um down around my farm so but yeah. uh hey let's get into this thing man um our our idea has always been that you would do the um national update and then i would do state and then we would go from there so i kick it over to you for the national update brother all right well we're gonna start out with uh, talking about the chronic wasting disease research and management act and uh, Congress, Congress has passed that. So the chronic wasting disease represents one of the greatest threats to deer, elk, other wild servers in, in the U.S. Legislation led by Representatives Ron Kine out of Wisconsin and Glenn Thompson out of Pennsylvania. The Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act was passed by the House of Representatives on December 8th of 2021. Uh, this legislation is going to help address the threat by funding coordinated management between the USDA and state wildlife agencies in the Department of Agriculture. It would also fund the CWD research and the development of educational materials for the public. Outstanding. Uh, next up, yeah. yeah. Next up, we're uh, talking about the Tongass, and I believe from our very first episode, this was this was one of the issues that uh, that we talked about was the Tongass National Forest. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced that they are taking steps to repeal the 2020 roadless rule and restore protections for over 9 million acres in the Tongass National Forest that were open to new road building, development, and old-growth logging. This process includes a 60-day comment period on the new proposed rule. Uh, Thirdly, going up to the Boundary Waters, the Bureau of Land Management and U.S. Forest Service are in the process of an application for a 20-year moratorium on mining on federal public lands and watersheds upstream of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. The process includes a 90-day comment period for the public to weigh in, and the Boundary Waters is one of the most visited wilderness uh, wilderness areas in the United States. Proposed 
sulfide or copper mining would have disastrous impacts on this irreplaceable fish and wildlife habitat. Such, such an accessible outdoor opportunity for Americans to hunt, fish, and recreate. And I, I believe I'm, we had talked about this before, and I think the, like the sulfide or copper mining, does it have a 100% leach rate on it? Yeah, there's never been a, <clears throat> there's never been one of those mines that, that didn't actually uh, fail and, and leach their byproduct mm-hmm. in into you know the local environment. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was that was what I was thinking. So uh, next next up, we have the North American uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers in partnership with a coalition of conservation organizations promoting the creation of legislation called the North American Grassland Conservation Act. This proposed legislation would invest $350 million annually for voluntary conservation programs targeting our threatened grassland and sagebrush habitat. Uh, after this, we've got RALA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act. In partnership with a coalition of organizations, businesses, and fish and wildlife management agencies that make up the Alliance for America's Fish and Wildlife, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is working to advance legislation that would dedicate $1.4 billion annually to help state and tribal fish and wildlife management agencies proactively manage at-risk species and prevent them from being added to the federal list for threatened and endangered species. Yeah, yeah. let's take a quick pause right there, man. Everybody needs to remember RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act. This was led by a Blue Ribbon Panel the, the development of this was led by a Blue Ribbon panel that included industry, you know, giants like, you know, Johnny Morris from Bass Pro and Cabela's. And they basically said like, that we're losing habitat and species too fast and we need to pump money into state agencies. So the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Montana Fish and Wildlife and Parks, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, you know, er, er, you know Indiana Department of Natural Resources, you name it. These guys got together, and you're talking about billionaires in the hunting and fishing industry getting together with scientists saying, we've got to pump $1.4 billion a year into state agencies, or we're going to continue to lose species and habitat. That's insane good stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see where we at here. All right, uh, the Mapland Act. I believe we talked about the Mapland Act uh, last year as well. Yep. But uh, Senator Jim Rich of Idaho, Angus King of Maine, Blake Moore of Utah, and Kim Schreier out of Washington, and others introduced bicameral and bipartisan uh, legislation for the Mapland Act. Uh, legislation will provide public land management agencies, including the Bureau of Land Management and Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, National Park Service, Bureau of Reclamation, and Corps of Engineers with funds to modernize maps from paper to a standard online database, which the way things are going now, it's going to be more, it's going to be easier to, uh, for everyone to access. Absolutely. The uh, Protecting America's Wilderness and Public Lands Act. Introduced by Representative Raul Grijalva out of Arizona and 16 other House members, the Protecting America's Wilderness and Public Lands Act, H.R. 803, passed the House on February 26th. H.R. 03 consists of nine bills that would designate 1.49 million acres of public lands and wilderness 
incorporate more than 1,000 river miles as part of national wild and scenic river systems and ensure that an additional 1.3 million acres remain intact for recreational use. And lastly, uh, supporting the responsible renewable energy development and wildlife habitat. The Public Land Renewable Energy Development Act, or do, do we call this Plurida? Plurida, yeah. I, okay. I hate the acronym too, man, but it's Plurida. <laughs> yeah. But this would encourage responsible development of wind, solar, and geothermal ener energy on our public lands while also conserving the integrity of the landscape for fish and wildlife habitat. Yeah. That... So those, are, uh, yeah those, are, those are the eight things that, uh, that we got for you this month. Good job, dude. Just running it right down. That that last one about renewable energy, you hear so many people upset about those giant windmills as we drive west to go hunting out west and you yeah. know, to yeah. have to have a law that has a very strange acronym, Plurada, that that tries to get a handle on it. All that, you know, renewable energy stuff is uh is cool. Um Oh yeah. But, you know, the one before that, the Protect America's Wilderness and Public Lands Act, that, that's an inch. I've never seen one like that. Have you ever seen one like that where it's like nine bills? Yeah. Yeah, it's like nine bills being rolled up into one, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like a bunch of different states' bills to save, you know, um, scenic rivers or public lands all rolled up into house resolution 803 so yeah that's man just, uh, that's definitely a good thing well, that's, that's something we need to keep our eye on and support oh absolutely ben yeah man hey good rundown of what's going on at the national level and you guys we try to keep our finger on this stuff but you know who keeps their finger on it better than us is our national headquarters of backcountry hunters and anglers man if you just right. log on to backcountryhunters.org and go to issues, um, man. You can you can really learn a lot, and you can support the things that are important to you. So, uh, I'm going to transition to the Commonwealth update, and um, here's the first and biggest thing that we all need to know is that um, we are done with deer season, and as of right now, hold your breath, ladies and gentlemen. We have not found CWD in Kentucky, so it's close. It's close to our borders, especially in the southwestern portion of the state, but we have not found it yet. So that's a good thing. Um, there's still deer tests, and there's still deer that we're taking during the season that are, are we've yet to get the test results. So it's not over, but we're holding our breath. Um, so the next thing is we just had a special called uh, meeting uh, of our Fish and Wildlife Commission about licensing and i don't think very many sportsmen are aware of what's going on um our fish and wildlife commission has been working on updating language for a long time for well over a year and a half they were working on updating the language and our fish and wildlife regulations to modernize antiquated language and allow legally the department to um hire or put out for bid what they call rfp basically contract a third-party vendor to run our licensing program um so it uh, came up 
in the December meeting and it was uh, tabled and then they had a January special call meeting and what happened was uh, there are nine commissioners now. Thank you to uh, Governor Bashir for nominating Brian Mackey in the fourth and Jerry Farrell in the sixth. So now we have a full slate of nine Fish and Wildlife Commissioners. Our commission is full, um, but uh, it was very divisive um, because our Fish and Wildlife Commission has voted to outsource our licensing program. Um, and it will most certainly go to a company that's outside of Kentucky because uh, there's policies in Kentucky that will not allow the state um, to contract with someone uh, in state that um, basically maintains your personal information, especially your credit card numbers. That is against um, Kentucky law and statute. So it's going to be someone from outside of the state of Kentucky that gets this contract. And we uh, looked into it, and uh, some leaders in our community looked into it, especially Jimmy Cantrell, the president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. And it's most likely going to go to a company in the Midwest. And the more interesting thing is that our licensing system, you know, it will be managed by somebody most likely in Nebraska. Um, and they actually outsource their customer service to a third-party third-party or another contractor in Kansas. So even if something goes wrong with your license when you call in and this all goes down, you're not going to talk to somebody from Kentucky. Um, the other problem is, is while the department voted or the commission voted to keep our fish, our hunting, fishing and trapping licenses at the same price, this is going to cost money. So the third party vendor is going to charge fees to pay for the service. So, um, I'll just give you an example. It's it's the time of year that we, who hunt out west, renew our western licenses. And I looked at my licenses this week prior to this podcast to make sure I knew it was up. And uh, I bought a general season um, elk and deer license in Montana, and the fees were $21.33. So um, we are looking at, uh, a significant increase in the cost of our licenses. And uh, at that special call meeting, the vote was five to three um, to outsource our licensing program. And the three dissenting votes were commissioners Mackey, Farrell, and Floyd. I say again, Mackey, Farrell, and Floyd. Uh, the other five commissioners voted to outsource our licenses and pass the cost on to the sportsmen and women of the Commonwealth. The interesting thing for me is that um, the actual wording of our agenda item, you know, was never contracting out our licensing program or the department is getting out of the licensing business. There was never anything to that effect. The actual wording was, and I'll read it, update antiquated language and accommodate modernization efforts in applicable regulations amend 301 Kentucky admin regulation 5 semicolon or excuse me colon no semicolon 5001 by updating definitions to remove antiquated language and accommodate licensing vendor provided services amend 301 KAR 5010 by updating vendor language for consistency amend 301 KAR 5020 to update antiquated language and add vendor provided solution language 
add issuance fee and operational fee language, alter agent commission amount to be based on percentage of sale rather than fixed transaction amount. So that paragraph I just read is straight out of with no edit. There was nothing in there that said we are going to stop doing licensing in the Department of Fish and Wildlife. We are going to contract out your licensing for hunting, fishing, and trapping. There was never any language like that. And so some sportsmen across the Commonwealth and leaders in our community are pretty upset about that. And the bottom line is, is we have a commission system where nine commissioners are supposed to represent their constituents in 120 counties across the Commonwealth. We know there were 870,000 plus licensed hunters, fishers, and trappers in Kentucky last year. Now that also includes out of state. That's a lot of people, right? So there are a lot of constituents that those nine commissioners represent. What we all believed was the language was being updated and then we would begin the debate on outsourcing our licensing program. So that this was a precursor to outsourcing our licensing program. And then we would have the normal about seven months to provide our input in that once something starts in our commission process as um, as uh, dis as new business it it is brought to the table by a commissioner or a department member someone so they would bring after this language was updated they would bring the new the new business to the commission in a meeting and say, now that we have the legal language to support it, we want to outsource the licensing. Go back to your districts and get input. So then between that meeting and the next quarterly meeting, which by the department's own system, it takes 90 days for something to go from new business to discussion item. So in that 90 days, the district commissioners would go back to their commission, or excuse me, go back to their districts and talk to all the sportsmen's clubs, talk to their league of Kentucky sportsmen uh, district leadership, the directors and presidents of the league districts, talk to people like you in the 4th district, you're, you're the director of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers in the 4th, and get your input. Then after, that 90 day, then after that 90 days, it becomes a discussion item. And we have another 90 days between discussion item and a vote to finalize it for us to have input. And that input would be preliminary to, it would be developmental to, it would be our input as sportsmen since we pay over 90% of the department's budget out of our pockets. That's why we have a commission system. We are supposed to be the loudest voice. It would be preliminary to them developing an RFP or a contract, which is totally legal. The department's leadership keeps saying we can't have input from outside on RFP. That is true once the, once the official process starts and they give it to a buyer or a contracting officer's representative from finance. That's true. But before that, the customer is supposed to have input because that buyer at finance, that contracting officer representative at finance, they don't know what the end user needs. They're busy doing work for every single department all over the state. They're not experts on fish and wildlife. They're not experts on procurement for the 
you know, any other outfit like the fair board, they're just contracting experts. That the parameters, the specifications have to be input at the front end. And we've skipped that. And so sportsmen are pretty angry right now because we went from updating language, right? Update antiquated language is what it says in their document, right? Update definitions to remove antiquated language is what it says in their document. Update vendor language for consistencies, what it says in their document. Add issuance fee operational language is what it says in their document. It doesn't ever say contract out our hunting and fishing and trapping and boating licensing program to a third party out of state. And how much would the sportsman be willing to pay for that out of pocket? It never says that. And so commissioners have said, well, it was on the public relations committee in 2019. Well, the public relations committee in 2019 that was talking about this, that organization was sunset. That, that committee died when we went away from the committee proceedings and the things that committee was working on died because they never made it to actual recommendations that were brought before the commission and a motion was made and a second was made and a vote was made. Those that they are using old, antiquated, dead things from the public relations committee and turning it into a Frankenstein now re emerging and oh my God, it's alive. We're allowed to do this now. No. You either got to stick to the standard process or you don't. And all the sportsmen in the state that are aware and that are informed and are leaders in our community, we're not upset about an app. We're not upset about modernization. We're not upset about paying a little more to do things better. What we're upset about is we didn't get to have input, input before the contract. And the reason we have a commission system, this is not a Department of Natural Resources. It's a commission system. Our commissioners are supposed to listen to us. And we couldn't be more disappointed in the ones that didn't. Specifically for me, Ralph Swallows in the third. 25 out of 26 leaders in the third district said, vote no. He still voted yes. So we've got a problem. And it was more than apparent in the, uh, in the January special call meeting. So uh, it's, I think I beat that dead horse enough, Ben. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think uh, until, we, until we get some more information on it and see where this goes, yeah. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud of my guy, Brian, in the, Brian Mackey in the fourth for sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm – <laughs> I couldn't be more proud of Brian Mackey and Jerry Farrell. And to be honest, it was a surprise that, that Dr. Robin Floyd in the first, he said, look, I want an app. I want modernization. But if you, watch, if you guys watch the special call meeting, and it goes about an hour and a half, Dr. Floyd in the first said, I want it. I love it. But my constituents don't want it right now this fast. Nobody has said yes to me, and I have to vote no. And that's the kind of commissioner we want. We want a Brian Mack. We want a Jerry Farrell. We want somebody to vote their conscience. So, Yeah. Um, yep, absolutely. So let's move on to what happened in the December meeting here in Kentucky. We had some really good stuff. Um, so we had some stuff about Otter Creek and your Fish and Wildlife Commission, um, propose, uh, opening Otter Creek recreation area, uh, to the public during spring turkey season. Um, and, uh, if it was approved, which means it's going to the next meeting, um, it could affect not this spring, but the 2023 season. Um, 
And then there was a long discussion about uh, potential measures to enhance wild turkey recruitment, right? There's a lot of places in the state where we have like regional turkey issues where our turkey flock is kind of holding serve and doing okay. And then there's other places in the state where our turkey flock is, is diminishing or, or not doing so well, right? So that's a, that is a serious uh, concern uh, amongst the Fish and Wildlife Commission and a couple of public meetings were had last year. And so right now, um, the commission is recommending uh, that they amend the regulations um, to hunting wild turkeys and fur bearers. Now, pay attention to that, ladies and gentlemen, because our nest raiders are both reptilian and fur bearing, right? So um, biologists will tell you that, uh, that our larger snakes uh, will eat the eggs of, uh, of ground nesting birds, but we have a significant larger number of uh, fur bears, uh, especially uh, rodents, large rodents that will raid a turkey's nest uh, pretty quick. And so um, they, they recommended amending the regulations related to hunting wild turkeys and fur bears. And if it was approved, it would take effect uh, this fall to next winter. So 2022 fall and 2023 um, seasons. And it would be a bag limit of one turkey per hunter per WMA per season. So that's an interesting one right there, right? One turkey per hunter per WMA per season. It would eliminate the harvest of non-bearded turkeys during the fall hunting season. So there goes your hens in the fall hunting season unless you um, are able to take a bearded hen. And then it would extend the prohibition of baiting um, from May 31st to July 31st, right? So then not congregating turkeys around bait um, where predators can lay in wait to kill poults um, that, you know, have have just been born in the spring and are really not big enough to get away, right? So you want to you wanna lay back uh, that baiting until, you know, July 31st or August 1st where the poults are strong enough. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also health risks to turkeys. I'm not a scientist, although I have a biology degree. But some of the grain that we put out there on the ground is not good for them. Um, it depends on the kind of chemicals that were used um, on that corn. And, and I, we probably need to have a guest on to explain that because I'm not the guy. Um, and then it also would extend the nighttime coyote hunting with rifle season, um, uh, which would then give us a, uh, a much uh, better opportunity uh, to harvest um, one of our biggest four-legged predators on the landscape, coyotes. So extending the nighttime coyote hunting season uh, would be outstanding. Then they went into the elk uh, modeling and uh, research proposal, and the commission voted in favor of pursuing an agreement with uh, University of Kentucky uh, wildlife researchers to evaluate an existing population parameter and data uh, model and then update statistical population reconstruction the bottom line is a significant amount of math is used based on the experience of biologists nationwide with all kinds of species to develop algorithms or formulas, right? And then your biologists on the ground count the elk they see and it goes into this formula and or we use the elk that we're able to trap and collar and it goes into the formula. And so 
um, we need to, our, our, our commission decided that um, we needed to do more research and, and refine the model so that we know what our elk population is going to be. Uh, the next thing that they took up was um, pretty simple stuff. Um, we've had 594 general elk season tags for, I think, three years now off the top of my head. So it's going to be 594 again this fall with 175 either sex archery or crossbow permits, 150 bull firearm permits, 244 cow firearm permits, and 25 youth permits. Now, what our listeners need to understand is that 594 is just the general lottery tags. That does not speak to the commission permits and the landowner program tag program. So there's, there's generally another 100, 110 tags. And people will say like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, Michael Waddell or Stephen Ranella got to hunt elk in Kentucky a couple years in a row. Well, those landowner tags are transferable. And the reason we need those landowner tags, ladies and gentlemen, is over 90% of the land that our elk were um, stocked on, right? Since 1997, our elk were stocked, I think from 11 states. Um, it was over 90% of the places that those elk were put on the landscape was private land. So we needed cooperation from private landowners as a department and as a Fish and Wildlife Commission. And to get that cooperation, we have landowner tags and those landowner tags are transferable. And people in the East really don't grasp that but it is a normal thing west of the mississippi they issue state department of fish and wildlife or department of natural resources or fish wildlife and parks issue landowner tags all the time out west so there's 594 in the lottery there's up to 10 commissioner tags right so that's 604 and then there's landowner tags that we really won't know how many were issued but it's usually less than 100 uh, until we know uh, um, how they were allocated based on uh, land that is committed. And, and a lot of those programs, those landowners are opening it up to the public. And because they open their land up to the public to hunt elk, they get credit. And the number of elk that are killed on their land during the season, over a number of seasons, they earn a tag. So it, it, it's a good thing. It's not a thing that we should be upset about. Those landowner tags are a good thing. So uh, moving on, uh, the elk herd expansion in McCreary County, the commission approved uh, relocation of 25 to 50 elk in the Daniel Boone National Forest to suitable habitat in McCreary County uh, and from other areas in the 16 county elk zone using grant funding. So no funding from the department. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is going to pay for this. Uh, but McCreary County will remain close to elk hunting for the time being um, with limited opportunities being uh, possible in the future. So here's the deal. That 90% of the elk that were stocked on private, because that's where the habitat was. That's, so our elk were stocked on reclaimed mine land. Well, that belonged to someone. Um, we just didn't put many elk in our stocking program on public. The elk that are on public, generally speaking, have migrated there throughout the Cumberland Plateau, which we call Appalachia. Um, Putting them in McCreary, in McCreary County also eventually could connect, think about this, could connect 
the Tennessee herd and the Virginia herd, really. So Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and I was fortunate to be on the elk working group, the department's elk working group. The elk, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation representative on that meeting said, we would love to have an Appalachian herd from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, where it was, you know, you could basically walk. You couldn't drive because it's, it's through Appalachia and then the Cumberland Plateau. But you could basically walk from Pennsylvania to Tennessee and be in elk country the whole time. So that's a really good deal. Um, I'm going to take a break to wet my whistle because it's a lot of talking. Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a really cool concept. Oh man, I was in the I was in the elk working group, Ben, when that was proposed, and I was sitting there. I was I was about to get out my pom poms and be like and be like a cheerleader, like whoa, that's a great <laughs> idea, elk on private, yeah. elk on let's restock elk on public in Kentucky and connect the elk herds. Now, I got to tell you, man, there's people that are skeptical of any movement of elk. It, it, it's there are people that are going to be for it and against it and i mean this is going to be a hot topic but cons- right. and, i mean and with recent with uh recent examples of that i mean people have the right to be skeptical about it but sure yep at, i mean at the same time i mean this thing's pretty cut and dry yeah we, we gave 241 elk to a private entity right so people should be skeptical yeah. um <laughs> yeah. yeah right but but if you think about it conceptually Right. And you have a little faith, which is hard to do these days. And and you can see that you're probably not your kids, but your grandkids could hunt a contiguous elk herd, you know, through Pennsylvania, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All the way. You know, that's what people used to jokingly call it was Pennsylvania. It's a good deal. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And coming up is another item that the department uh, worked on that I was very proud to have had a hand in as a member of the elk working group was uh, what's called the loyalty redraw. Um, I, I was a big advocate for doing a point system like out west, but, you know, the department's going to do a loyalty redraw. And what everybody needs to know is this is going to use the tags that are uh, one in the lottery. So we have a number of elk tags that are one in the lottery that are never bought. And I know that's mind blowing, ladies and gentlemen. I know that you're like, holy, what? Are you kidding me, Batman? Yeah, no kidding. We issue 594 tags the last couple of years in the general drawing, like we just talked about, and people win them in that lottery. I say we issue them in the general drawing. It's a lottery, right? It's a straight-up lottery. That's why people think Kentucky's awesome. The other state that does that is New Mexico, where it's just a straight-up lottery for a lot of their big game tags. Um, but anyway, um, people win those. You know, that that, that lottery's going on live in Berea the last couple of years. And people win them, and they're like, Woo, I want a tag. That's awesome. And then they don't buy it. So it was with um, – the help of the Kentucky Elk Guides Association and their president, Don Thomas, uh, that uh, myself and a few others brought that Delta um, to out in the spotlight and said, look, you know, there's a, there's a significant number of tags and, um, and they are not used. And the Elk Working Group took that up. And they are looking at uh, an effective date of August of 2023 um, where there would be a pair of amendments to state regulation for elk hunting seasons permit zone and requirements 
and it would be proposed um, that opening the elk hunt drawing application window on August 1st of the year immediately preceding a hunting season and implementing a loyalty redraw to reward longtime applicants who have never been drawn for an elk permit. So here's the deal. If you've been putting in since this started, you will be on the top of the list to get a loyalty tag. That's the way they're going to do it. So it's almost like we had a point system. Almost. You're not going to, if it was a point system, you would be able to decide if you wanted that tag and when you would spend your points. But they're saying, look, um, you've been in it for, you know, golly, what is it? Almost 20 years, 21 years, whatever. You've been in it. You've been drawing for that long. You, you should be the first person to get one of these unpurchased tags. Okay. And so the department went and looked back and said there are fewer than 100 people who've applied for the elk hunt drawing every year since inception and have not been drawn. So under this proposal, the loyalty redraw would give a second random draw for elk permits that were unpurchased to those who have been applying since the start and just to those who've been applying since the start. And, uh, you know, it would reward longtime applicants, and, and it's, it's awesome. And, and the bottom line is about 10% of our tags that are awarded in the lottery. So people buy those $10 lottery chances uh, to try to win one of the 594 general tags in the lottery, and about 10% of those go unpurchased, which is just ridiculous. And then, of course, I talked about licensing. In the December meeting, the licensing issue that I talked about earlier that was settled in the January special called the licensing issue was tabled in the December meeting and then moved on to the January meeting. And then we had some, some pretty much across the board, good news in fisheries. Um, the commission proposed simplifying, updating and adding, uh, and or removing special regulations for bass, trout, catfish and muskie. Uh, and if approved, they would take effect in the 2023 season. Um, so uh, I encourage everyone to look at those those special regulations. Um, it is, you know, by lake, by pond, by river, by species. But, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, it would institute a 12 to 15 inch protective slot limit on largemouth and smallmouth bass with a six fish daily creel limit on the following waters. Otter Creek. Uh, in Hardin and Mead counties with only one fish daily creel limit, uh, maybe longer than 15 inches on mainstream Elkhorn Creek. In Franklin County, only two fish daily creel limit may be longer than 15 inches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bunch of that and very, very detailed language um, that was updated in the sport fishing regulations for bodies of water, both stagnant, you know, like ponds and lakes and flowing like creeks and rivers across the Commonwealth. Um, and really, honestly, none of it is worth reading because it sounds like legalese, right? Implement 15 day career limit with only one fish longer than blah, blah, blah on this body of water, increase minimum size limit to this number of inches or that number of inches on that body of water for this species. So, ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to um, to log on to fw.ky.gov and drill down into the commission section. So, you're going to go to the to the more tab and then 
um, the about tab and look for commission and you can drill down into this stuff if you really want to know what the fisheries update is going to be for the 2023 fishing season or 2023 year so ben that takes us to the educational section which is our new format so everything we just did was the old format yep now on the now on the new things which uh i you you know this uh you know this kind of stuff a whole lot more than i do so i think i'm once again gonna let you take the reins on it and uh <laughs> i'm gonna play, i'm gonna play the part of listener again and uh maybe ask some questions at the end but uh like our regular listeners would. Well, jump in if I miss something, man, because this stuff, this is this is what the first part of the show that took us about 40 minutes to do was what we used to do, update national and state issues so that everybody kind of could listen to it and know what was going on. Even the special called Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting lasted about an hour and a half. The normal quarterly meetings are longer than eight hours, so there's no way for regular folk who aren't willing to sit and watch that to get an update. So people asked, right. people asked if you and I would go back to doing this podcast to give them that update and to let them know what the issues of the day were at the national level. And we can do that in 40 minutes after we do our intro. That's a great thing. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. then, but then leaders in the conservation community came out and said, we would like, more sportsmen and women to understand how things work so that we could work together for change rather than constantly educating. When people call and say, hey, what's going on with this? Leaders in our community are saying, well, do you know how the commission system works? And people are like, what's a commission system? So that's what we're going to jump on tonight. We're going to talk about our Fish and Wildlife Commission, why it is what it is, what it is under the law, which in Kentucky folks call is called Kentucky Revised Statute. It it's the law, right? Um, and we're gonna we're gonna do the educational piece, and then we're gonna answer a listener's email, and then we're gonna call it a night. But so uh, we were asked by multiple leaders in the community to talk about the commission system uh, and to to give a, a short class on that. So here's the deal: I'm just gonna run it down. Um, we are really lucky to have a commission system in the state of Kentucky. There are other states that have a Fish and Wildlife Commission, but it is the minority of states, ladies and gentlemen. It's m most states have a Department of Natural Resources or a Fish and Parks or a Fish and Wildlife and Parks. We are blessed to have a commission system. And that commission system is based or rooted in the fact that the sportsmen and women of the Commonwealth fund the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. The following percentages are approximate and change every year, right? I wrote this down to not screw this up. The Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources gets approximately 50% of their annual budget from the sale of hunting, fishing, and trapping licenses. They get another 35% in federal grant money, but that is not federal money. That is your money. It came out of your pocket when you bought hunting, shooting or fishing equipment or supplies and we will do shows on those in the future but there are two laws one is called Pittman Robertson which is really the federal aid and restoration of wildlife and then Dingle Johnson which is the federal aid and restoration of sport fish um, where we pay excise taxes so if you were to buy a bow a brand new hunting bow and it cost you $500 
it honestly costs $450. 10% of that cost of that bow was an excise tax. So 50 bucks of that $500 bow went to the Department of Interior through an excise tax. And the Department of Interior held on to that money. And then we get it back by writing grants. I say we. The department writes grants on projects and gets that back on a 75-25 match where the department pays 25% of the project and the federal government pays 75% of that project. Doesn't matter. The 25% the department made came out of your hunting and fishing license. The 75% that's coming from the Department of Interior through U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service came from those excise taxes under Pittman, Robinson, Dingle, Johnson. Boom. Bottom line. So that's 85% of the department's budget. The final 15% of the department's budget, they get through different things, but a, but a significant portion of that final 15% is your boating licenses. So check it out. 50% from license sales, hunting, fishing, trapping. 35% approximate federal grants through excise taxes we pay on our gear and fuel. And, and about half of that 15% to up to 10% of that 15%, right, is your boating licenses. So 85 to 95% of the department's budget is our money. There is no general fund tax money that comes out of the legislature and the Kentucky Treasury for us. What the Kentucky legislature does in the budget is they set a spending limit, the ceiling of what can be appropriated out of our own money for running our own programs. So that's the reason our commission was invented, because we pay for it, then we should have the input. So our Fish and Wildlife Commission is a nine-member board comprised of volunteers who serve a four-year term after being nominated by licensed hunters and anglers. Then, after they're nominated, they're appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Senate. And the nine-member board serves as volunteers and covers all 120 counties in Kentucky. I'm going to take a break to wet my whistle again because this is a lot of talking. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I got to see that firsthand uh, back during the summer with the 4th District. Uh, you know, I, attended the, I attended the meeting down by... Uh, down by Mammoth Cave and all that, and it was uh, it was an interesting process. I've never been to a meeting, uh, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, meeting like that before, and it was it was an interesting process. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it's. I'm going to go into greater depth. I've been doing. I've been going to those. Um, I went to them off and on from 2008 until 2016 when I put in my retirement paperwork for the military. I haven't missed one since 17 that I could possibly get to um, because they're held all over the state. Sometimes I can't make it because they're held in the in the commissioner's home district. Um, but, yeah, that was that was an awesome one because that's where we got Brian Mackey um, nominated and the governor went ahead and appointed him. Um, so here's the thing. The nine-member board of volunteers that covers 120 counties that represents us, they don't represent politicians. They represent the sportsmen and women of the Commonwealth. They're supposed to do what we ask them to do. Are you listening, Ralph Swallows, third district commissioner, okay, who 25 out of 26 sportsmen's groups said not to vote for the licensing, and you still did, sir? All right? We're, I couldn't be more disappointed. 
Ben, I can't. I don't know if you can tell, and I'm disappointed in my district commissioner or not. But oh, I I, I can tell it, and uh, it it's understandable. Yeah. So the nine-member board of volunteers covers all 120 counties in Kentucky, and their mission is three parts, according to Kentucky Revised Statute or Kentucky law, under KRS Kentucky Revised Statute 150.023. And I'm going to read this straight from the law. The commission shall at times keep a the commission shall at all times keep a watchful eye upon the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources and advise the commissioner, the head of the department, Mr. Storm, currently, to take such action as may be beneficial to the department and in the interest of wildlife and conservation of natural resources. The commissioner, currently Mr. Storm, with the approval of the commission, our non-volunteer commissioners that represent us, shall authorize such scientific and other studies as he deems necessary and shall collect, classify, and disseminate such statistics, data, and information as in his discretion will tend to promote the objects of this chapter, the 150 series of law, which is the Fish and Wildlife Law. The commissioner with the approval of the commission, so Mr. Storm with the approval of the nine volunteer commissioners, shall have the exclusive power to expend for the protection, conservation, propagation, and restoration, and taking and harvesting of all wildlife, all funds of the state acquired for the protection, conservation, propagation, or restoration of all wildlife arising from licenses, gifts, or otherwise. So the commission authorizes the head of the department, the commissioner of the Department of Fish and Wildlife, currently Mr. Storm, to spend any money. It's their approval. Okay. So here's the other part that is codified or codified or written down or however folks want to understand it in law. The commission also has the power to hire and fire the chief executive commissioner of the Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, under Kentucky Revised Statute 150.061, which, again, folks, is Kentucky law. And it basically says the volunteer commissioners conduct an annual review in closed executive session of the commissioner, who is currently Mr. Storm. They may remove him for cause in the same way the governor may remove a member of the commission, and they may reappoint him. Okay? So they have the power. And, and I'm not saying that he should be fired or hired or reappointed. I'm not going to lay my opinion out here for anyone. The only person I think des deserves our disdain are the commissioners that vote against the people in their district, which currently is Mr. Swallows in the third. Um, but, you know, the commission, our nine volunteer commissioners have the power. They hire and fire the person that runs the Department of Fish and Wildlife under 150.061. That is the law, folks. Okay, so the commission members are governed by Kentucky statutes and regulations pertaining to all boards and commissions. And it is, I am actually teaching this, right? I said, I went back to work as a high school teacher. I've been, you know, as our job as a high school teacher in junior ROTC is to make better citizens. So a lot of what we teach is leadership. We do physical fitness. We do a bunch of awesome stuff. But coming up in three or four weeks, I'm teaching Kentucky government and how Kentucky government works. And, and I got a screenshot of all of the boards of, and commissions. My God, Ben, the barbers, the respiratory therapists, there's a board for everything. It is amazing. And it is, uh, it is no, um, it should be no surprise that our commissioners um, that are members uh, uh, of the Fish and Wildlife Commission are governed, governed by statute and regulation pertaining to all boards and commissions and are accountable 
to the hunters and anglers in their district. I say again, accountable to the hunters and anglers district. What should surprise people is our Fish and Wildlife Commission are not accountable to the executive branch ethics rules. So if something happens and we as sportsmen and women say that was unethical and we file a complaint, there is nothing the tourism cabinet, the personnel cabinet, or the finance cabinet, or the governor can do. Well, the governor has executive authority. He can do something. But our Fish and Wildlife Commissioners are not subject to executive branch ethics. Think about that. In this day and age, we have appointed and confirmed. They're appointed by, they're nominated by sportsmen. They're uh, appointed by the governor. They're confirmed by the Senate, but they're not subject to, to ethics rules. So that's, it's mind blowing, right? Um, okay, moving on. So let's talk about how uh, commissioners are appointed. All right. So if there's a vacancy in one of the nine districts, no later than 30 days before the expiration of the incumbent commissioner's term, then the Department of Fish and Wildlife will select a time and place for a public meeting uh, in that the commission district to in that district to select nominees to submit to the governor. And the location of that meeting will be within the district uh, of the member whose term is expiring. So that's the meeting that you went to, right? Uh, yes. Yep, that was held down in, uh, down in Mammoth Cave. Yep. So as I remember, Kenny Knott, the incumbent, mm -hmm. term was expiring. So uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, Selected a time and place for that meeting, which was Mammoth Cave, and then y'all went down. A bunch of sportsmen went down. It was pretty well attended, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, there was there was quite a few people in the room. I was uh, I was very surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the deal. If there's a vacancy uh, within 30 days of the incumbent uh, leaving the job, we're supposed to get together and nominate a new. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Commissioner for that district. And so the hunters and anglers in that district attend the meeting, will select up to five nominees, and those nominees are supposed to be well-informed sportsmen and women uh, on wildlife conservation, hunting, fishing, trapping, and boating. And those eligible to participate either as nominees or people that nominate a nominee under the law are supposed to be resident hunters or anglers who have a license in Kentucky for the past two consecutive years or are license exempt and have hunted and fished uh, or have, excuse me or are license exempt and have hunted and fished each of the past two consecutive years so here's the th here's the deal the definition of a sportsman under the law is you've held a hunting or fishing license and it should say trapping, but it doesn't, uh, over the last two years. Or if you're license exempt, meaning that you're a resident landowner in Kentucky and you can hunt your own land and don't need to buy a license over the last two years. But when you go to these meetings, it's a loophole, right? Because no one can prove that you're a resident landowner and don't need a license. So what actually happens in practice when you go to these meetings is, Anyone can nominate anyone else because our conservation officers, God love them. And I, I mean, I am a huge fan of our current colonel who runs a conservation 
uh, or runs the law enforcement branch of the Department of Fish and Wildlife, Eric Gibson, huge fan. Um, and I think he's doing great things. Um, but they can't prove that you're not a resident landowner who doesn't need a license. So they don't check because under the law, they can't prove it. No one can prove it. So what happens in practice is anyone that shows up at one of these nomination meetings can nominate anyone else. That is, I mean, that is just open for corruption. Okay. And so what happens then is, is they call for nominations. And since anyone can nominate anyone else, it only takes one person to nominate someone else. And you get nominations. If there are five nominees or less, so they call for nominations and there's five. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no vote. There's people out there that thinks this is an election. It's not. It's not even close to an election. If, if at this nomination meeting under the law there are five nominees or less, there's no vote. If there's six nominees, then there's a vote. But that sixth person that is the cause or the catalyst for a vote is only causing a vote to narrow it down to five, right? And then those five names, after they call the six, so say nine people are nominated, and, they, and then the sportsmen and women that are present vote. They're still just narrowing it down to five. Say 11 people are nominated. They're still just narrowing it down to five. It doesn't matter if it's six, nine, ten, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They're narrowing it to five with the vote. The five nominees are then sent to the governor's office without vote totals. So the governor never gets to know. And this is the law, ladies and gentlemen. The governor never gets to know who was the choice of the people in that district. The governor doesn't get to know. So people have said recently like, oh, the governor's cherry picking. I know Matt Bevin cherry picked five, right? And people have said, well, Governor Bashir cherry picked the last two. That's not how it works. Here's the deal. Once the list of nominees is sent to the governor, right? Once it's culled down to five, whether it was six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, or maybe it's four. Maybe there was only four nominees and there's no vote at all, or five nominees and there's no vote at all, right? After that, it's complete. And then it goes to the governor's office. It's communicated to the governor's office, and then the governor's office reaches back out to those nominees and asks for resumes, and then they do phone calls, and they ask questions of the nominees, and the governor's office vets the nominees. So it's basically, once it's... Once it's down to five or less, whether there, was a, whether there was a vote or not to get it down to five or less, once it's down to five or less, the governor's office, people that work for the governor, the governor doesn't have time to do this himself. Sportsmen and women are so arrogant. They're like, the governor went down and did this. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had a huge hurricane. We've got COVID and Omicron. We've got a budget fight. The governor has the fair board, the barber board, the respiratory therapist board, the retirement home board. He doesn't have time to personally drill down at the Fish and Wildlife board. Are you, quit being arrogant. His staff does it. They get resumes. They look at people's, you know, background. They look at who's the best candidate. Do they look at the party? Of course they look at the party. Every governor does. Governor Bevin, and I'm not, 
I'm not too proud to say I'm a member of the GOP. Governor Bevin nominated more than was legal Republicans to the Fish and Wildlife Commission, and a couple of them had to change their party. Okay? I'm not saying names, but that, that's what really happened. Okay, so the bottom line is, once it gets to the governor, they do a vetting process in his office, and then they present to him which of the uh, nominees is best, and the governor picks the best, according to his staff, to appoint them. Okay? And then so once they're appointed, they begin serving a four-year term, but they don't get to stay there. Here's the trick. They still have to be confirmed by the Senate, right? So here's the juxtaposition, ladies and gentlemen. You have a, a, a Democratic governor. You have a Republican supermajority in the Senate. And the sportsmen and women picked the top five and presented them to the governor. And out of the top five, the governor appointed one. That's pretty close to the best we can do for who we want in our district, all right? Sometimes it's it's not who we want because there were less than five nominees and we didn't get to vote somebody out. Okay, fine. All right? Um, so that's where we're at. We're, we nominate, the governor appoints, and we wait on Senate confirmation. And that's where we're at with two of the best commissioners we have had in recent memory. And, I, and Ben, I mean like, hmm. Let's see. I'm talking like five, six, seven years. We've we've got two of the best commissioners we've had in recent memory, and I'm talking about Mr. Brian Mackey in the fourth and Mr. Jerry Farrell in the sixth. Um, we are we are really really blessed to have them, and and the bottom line is is um, if people want to do more research on this pro process, right? We are trying to inform people and teach a class as efficiently as we can. And we used to say that we're not going to editorialize, but it's impossible. And, and since we cut the podcast off a few months ago and, and we are now starting it back up, um, leaders in the conservation community across the Commonwealth have asked us to, to do what we did before, you know, federal and state issues, and then talk about something that we need to educate the sportsmen and women about. But they've also asked us to editorialize. And that's where I've spoken about my district commissioner and some others that, that really are falling short of the mark. But the bottom line is now, and, and this is where we didn't used to editorialize, I'm going to just go ahead and say this, we got to confirm Brian Mackey and Jerry Farrell to the commission. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have watched every commission meeting since Brian Mackey was appointed, um, that gentleman is doing what he can for the 4th District. Uh, and Mr. Farrell's only been in two meetings, and I can tell you right now, he's voting his conscience for the 6th District. The two big, you know, two of the three biggest districts. The three biggest districts on it, well, you could argue the 5th is, is in there because of Cincinnati. But the, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth are, are really massive districts by the number of people that buy hunting and fishing licenses because, you know, they represent the, the Louisville E-Town, you know, complex in the fourth, um, Louisville in the third, um, the, uh, or I, sh I probably should say Louisville E-Town Shepherdsville complex, the Louisville in the fourth, in the, uh, including Fort Knox in the fourth, uh, Louisville in the third, uh, and, uh, 
Cincinnati in the fifth, and then Metro Lexington in the sixth. And so Brian Mackey represents the fourth, which is basically the South Louisville, Shepherdsville, uh, Elizabethtown, Fort Knox area, which is a huge number of sportsmen. Um, and Jerry, are, are you are you sure that's the fourth? Is that not the third? I may be screwing that, that, that up. That area. I screw I, that I, up. I, I, I believe so because we. I mean, we do our districts the same way with BHA. And we're on the fourth. Wait a I, minute. I don't think I don't believe I do Fort Knox or Shepherdsville or any of that area. I hate to kick you in the ass, but Hardin County is fourth. Oh, that that uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah so that, I, it, I, it spans a few counties. Yeah, I, I screwed that up with Shepherdsville because that's, gosh, is that that's right on the line, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It is, yeah. All right, so folks, don't don't hold me to my geography right now, but let me break it down to you. Um, and I'm going to just talk about Brian. Thanks for correcting me, Ben. God, I love you. All right, so Brian Mackey of Sonora received his appointment from the 4th District Representative of the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Commission August 14th of last year. Mackey studied production agriculture at the University of Kentucky. He's a U.K. Wildcat grad and is a retired professional firefighter. Okay, He's a lifelong hunter and angler, and he also farms the same land in Hardin and LaRue counties that he grew up on. Um, now let me let me expand on that. That land he farms was bought by his father Herb Mackey when he came back from the war, and for his father the war was the Korean War. So I mean that family has roots in Hardin Larue County, um, and Brian it, it has been striving to incorporate wildlife management uh, on on his grain and cattle farm um, since he was a young young man. Uh, in 2018, he actually received the Embry-Lay Wildlife Stewardship Award uh, from Hardin County Natural Resources Conservation Service. And, and really, honestly, you couldn't ask for a better hunter, fisher, conservationist, retired first responder, firefighter, and a farmer to represent you. And honestly, the, the, the gentleman's been doing everything he can do um, on the commission to ask hard questions and vote his conscience, which is all we would ever ask. We don't ever want to agree on everything. We just want people to vote their conscience. So, um, so Brian represents the fourth district, which is Adair, Barron, Cumberland, Edmondson, Grayson, Green, Hardin, Hart, Larue, Marion, Metcalf, Monroe, Nelson, Taylor, and Washington counties. And then you got Jerry Farrell. So Jerry is a lifelong angler and a small game hunter who participates in bass fishing tournaments throughout Kentucky. Farrell holds a business administration degree from American University and graduated from Richmond Madison High School. He's also, like me, a U.S. Army veteran. Go, Jerry. What's up, man? Hoo! All right. And uh, he was a controller and he, uh, at the Toyota manufacturing uh, uh, plant there in Georgetown and retired from Toyota in Georgetown. And in his retirement, he stays active by working at Sportsman's Warehouse in the fishing department and driving a school bus from Madison County Schools. God bless you, Jerry. Um, here's the other cool thing, and this always escapes me because in the service we're colorblind, but, you know, I don't care what the color of a gentleman is or, or a female. Now, nowadays, a male or a female soldier, I don't care what color they are in my armored vehicle, my home V, if we're rolling through Iraq, as long as they're good at their job, don't care. But Farrell is the first African-American or, or, or black man appointed to the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Commission. So God bless you, Jerry, and God bless the governor for putting some diversity 
again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a I'm a Republican, but diversity makes us stronger. So I applaud the governor for that and this in this response as well. Um, so Jerry's responsible for the six district counties of Anderson, Boyle, Casey, Clark, Estill, Fayette, Franklin, Garen, Justman, Lee, Lincoln, Madison, Mercer, Powell, Rockcastle, Scott, and Wolford counties. Oh my lord, that's a mouthful. Whew. Help me out there, Ben, while I wet my whistle. Uh, let's see who who do we have now for the six for uh, for BHA? Is that that's Pete right now, isn't it? So he's uh chief chief. He's, he's gonna be yep. covering Pete. Yeah, Pete Ralston. Yep, Chief Warrant Officer Pete Ralston, who is a uh, U.S. Army Chief Warrant Officer, and he's not one of those. Uh, well, there really isn't such a thing as a as a as a obtuse or or simple warrant officer. Our warrant officers are our technicians. They're our smartest. Uh, folks on the ground and, and Pete's even smarter than a regular warrant officer because he does um, uh, helicopter maintenance you know he is in charge of making sure helicopters um, uh, and our what we call rotary wing airframes are ready to do their job and, and uh, Pete's a wicked smart dude but he also has a crazy sense of humor man you and I know him very well so um, oh yeah Say too much good about him to give him a big head thing. So yeah. might, might want to move on. <laughs> yeah, I can't give him too many compliments. I'm gonna have to deal with him tomorrow. But, but yeah, you're you're Brian Mackey's uh, uh, analogous um, member on the BHA board. So you're our fourth district director, and uh, Commissioner Mackey's the fourth uh, Fish and Wildlife District. Uh, Pete Ross, Chief Warrant Officer Pete Ralston, is our. Uh, sixth district and um and uh he would work with uh jerry farrell so honestly folks um we didn't used to editorialize but now we're doing that we support both of those gentlemen for senate confirmation and if you would like to support them for senate confirmation the easiest way to do that is to make a phone call you can call the kentucky legislative research committee at 1-800- 372-7181. Again, 1-800-372-7181. You'll talk to a very nice operator, and that operator will, you know, say, where are you from, what's your name, what's your email and phone number, so the senator came back to you, what's your address, they're going to ask your address so that they make sure that they're giving it to the right senator, because your address is where your district is and that's the center that represents you it's super easy i just did it this week to test fire it because i've been sending i, I have my senator's personal cell phone number and i call and talk to him about these things but i still send him an official message through 1-800-372-7181 and said hey man you got to support brian Mackey and jerry farrell so you can do it too just call that number again 1-800-372-7181 um Whew, that's a mouthful, man. And we're doing pretty good on time. Yeah, we're uh, we're actually moving along. I think you know this time last year would have been uh, we'd maybe be wrapping up everything just just with the national and state update. Yeah, I think we're doing. I think we're doing a fairly good job so far. <laughs> well, knocking knocking a little bit of the rust off. Yeah, we're knocking a little bit. Hey, you know it's. Um, I'm going to tell you, man. I'm just going to say it. We went to non-traditional instruction in Jefferson County where I teach high school right now. And I was so wanting them to cancel school. I love my kids. Kids, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, I love you. You know that you're the only reason I come to school. I don't like the administration or the red tape or any of that jazz. 
I love my my principal, my vice principals, assistant principals. They're great. I mean the like the red tape. I'm there for the kids. So when we do NTI, when we're teaching over the computer, I don't like it. And I wanted them to basically cancel it or let me do it from home so I could be duck hunting every morning. There you go. Now but, you're talking. Ugh. <laughs> but, Ben, they didn't do it, man. So yeah, we've been, according to Kentucky law, when you go to non-traditional instruction, you have to go into your classroom and sit in your classroom and teach over the Internet. So I was at least able to connect with my kids and make sure they're okay and teach them some, some really good stuff and and. and Nobody likes it, but everybody deals with it. So, but that's where we're at. Um, a new segment, right? You and I talked about it. Yeah. Yep. Instead of you and me just answering emails, right? What What's your email for this? For this out? For this it, this venture? It, it is bishop at theslowhunt.com. Right. So mine is ranger at theslowhunt.com. This podcast is governed or is actually uh, under the Slow Hunt LLC, which is, you know, my business as a freelance writer. Um, and that's how we um, basically are journalists, so to speak. But uh, one of the things that we decided to do instead of just anonymously, we're not anonymously, but but we would answer a bunch of people's emails and questions just one on one because what we're trying to do is educate, right, and help people. Um, we decided that there's questions that people would have that a bunch of people would have, and some asked it, some didn't. So now we're going to answer at least one or two listener emails every podcast in case someone else had this question. And so the one we picked uh, – uh, for our first podcast back in 2022 is from a gentleman named Clement. And I'm telling you, Clement, you know, my mama's family's from Eastern Kentucky. Uh, my aunt uh, Eskel was born in, in Barberville. And uh, Clement is an old school uh, Eastern Kentucky name. But Clement from Nancy, Kentucky, which is in our 9th district, which is home to the chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission and our 9th district commissioner, Carl Kleinard, Clement asked the following question. He said, I uh, was listening, um, or no, no, wait a minute. Let me read it word for word. I think we have a good amount of public land, but was listening to a recent Facebook live show, and they said we couldn't get more WMAs in eastern Kentucky because the department, I love how he says this, ain't got the money in the budget. Is that true? <laughs> you got to love that, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to read that again. <laughs> Clement from Nancy says, I think we have a good amount of public land, but was listening to a recent Facebook live show, and they said we couldn't get more WMAs in Eastern Kentucky because the department ain't got the money in the budget. Is that true? Uh, Clement, no, that's not true, buddy. Um, and, and I'm not throwing stones that anybody that did a show that, that said that, they just probably missed it or didn't understand the department has a significant amount of money to buy public land um, through a program called Fee in Lieu of, uh, or Philo. Um, it is a complicated program that is administered by the United States Army Corps of Engineers, right? So the, there's a portion of the United States Army called the Corps of Engineers. And generally speaking, the Corps of Engineers' biggest thing the Corps of Engineers does is manage waterways and 
the uh, engineering of waterways all across the United States of America. So it's interesting that that comes from the Army Corps of Engineers and probably not the Navy or the Coast Guard. But the bottom line is, is that's who manages it. Okay. And at the end of the last quarter, right, when you look at the, the public documents that say how much money the department has, well, at the end of last quarter, the Department of Fish and Wildlife had $157 million. I'll say that again. $157 million. So the department's budget last year was about $68 million. The Republican version of the department's budget this year, I think, is like $83 million. They have double that in this account that comes from federal money at well and people that pay into it by buying credits all right so this is a program that was designed by the corps of engineers to basically offset the way we urban sprawl and build and continually build and and when we do that in a metro area we're impacting our rivers and streams and wetlands with all that concrete and asphalt, right? So this program sets aside money to buy other land that allows us to still have wetlands, waterways, streams, and healthy rivers because we are doing a disservice to waterways, healthy streams, rivers, and wetlands by, by paving and building buildings and urban sprawl and it's it's a complicated program it, there's it'd be about a three-hour class but the bottom line is the corps of engineers administers federal money and the department participates in that program and in that program the department has 157 million dollars to buy land to offset or mitigate urban sprawl okay so it's a great question man it's a great question, and and there's the answer. The money is there. So if if people in uh, in Eastern Kentucky, and that was the that was the discussion on some show you were listening to, said there's not the money to buy land. There is. There absolutely is. Talk to one of your commissioners. Talk to uh, Doug Morgan in the eighth, Paul Horn in the in the seventh. And uh, and Carl Kleiner in the ninth. Those are our Appalachian commissioners or Cumberland Plateau commissioners. Talk to them. Tell them you want this piece of land to be purchased and be a WMA and let that go through the process. And, and there's $157 million currently there to buy that. So here's the other thing that most people don't know or don't, don't understand is that um, sometimes the department collaborates with the State Department of Forestry um, to buy new land. And, and Ben, this is what happened in your district, right? Yeah, yep, down in uh, down in Marion County. In Marion County, so we have a fairly new patch of public land in Marion County called the Marion County WMA and State Forest. That was a collaboration between the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources and the Kentucky Department of Forestry. So that's why it's called a WMA and State Forest. So there you go, Clement. There's either the money's available through the Philo program to the tune of $157 million, or if you can get the department to work with forestry, they can collaborate and buy uh, new public land. And, and, and to be fair, and, and I want to be fair, the department does a lot of land purchases. Um, does it always end up as a WMA? No. 
But are they constantly in the process of purchasing new public lands? Yes. Who can affect that? Your commissioners, ladies and gentlemen. Your commissioners affect that, right? I, I know for a fact there's new public land that was purchased in the last two or three years up in the 5th District that still's not been designated a WMA. We're waiting to find out. The department bought it. Who owns it? Who's going to do what with it? We don't know. Um, but that that is why you should have a relationship with your commissioner and talk to them, ask them tough questions, tell them what you think about these issues, whether it's the fisheries issues we talked about, the elk issues we talked about, the licensing issues we talked about. You are represented by your commissioner. That's why we have a commission system. And if we don't endorse and support our commissioners and ask our commissioners to vote the way we want and call them out and say you need to vote the way you want, then we stand a chance of becoming a Department of Natural Resources where we have no representation. Our commissioners represent us for a reason. Okay? <sighs> so, Ben, I'm going to get off my soapbox. That's an hour and 24 minutes, my friend. Well, I think you did a fantastic job on that and then explained everything. Uh, I, I like, uh, you know, it, it makes somebody, you know, like myself, I'm not, I, I, I understand I understand how the commission works and all that stuff, but a little more in depth, you know, I'm, I'm learning stuff as we go as well. Yeah, brother. I mean, like. I love it. Yeah. I, um. I just decided to get involved when I retired, and I was retired for four years straight before I went back to teach high school junior ROTC. And and I love, love, love my kids from Shively, West End, Louisville, man, best kids. But um, I also love our commission process and what it's supposed to be and, and wish it was the way it was written in law and regulation because, unfortunately, it's not, so... But it's up to us to make it that way, right? That's democracy. Right. Um, right. We are a participation sport. So, um, friends, that wraps up our first podcast of 2022. Um, if, like Clement from Nancy, Kentucky, which is an awesome question, dude. I'm so happy he sent that to us. But anyway, if, like Clement, you have a question um, about anything we talked about, okay, you can send it to us. Um, and, um, uh, if you also missed or, or or don't have the time to go back and listen to this twice, how to contact your senators about confirming uh, Mr. Jerry Farrell or Mr. Brian Mackey, just reach out to me or Ben, right? We will help you get that done. And if you have any questions about hunting, fishing, trapping, or boating, we'll do the research if we don't know it, right? We're here to educate. Um, so you can reach Ben. How can you reach Ben? That is bishop at theflowhunt.com. Exactly, man. Just like the chess piece on the chessboard, bishop. And then that's right. It's such a badass email. And then and then I picked <laughs> I picked ranger at theslowhunt.com because I'm a I'm a retired infantry guy and an army ranger. But uh, we'll finish up the the program with our disclaimer. Right, the slow hunt LLC. Uh, is where we are, uh, both of us, um, you know, freelance journalists, and we don't endorse or sell any products whatsoever. We are here to educate and help inform the sportsmen and women of the Commonwealth. We're not going to ask you to like us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter or anything. We're not going to ask you to buy a coffee mug or a beer koozie. 
we are here to help you guys and do all we can. So please send your recommendations into us if you would like us to uh, um, do any program in the future on any any item. And uh, I was recently asked about my book, and, and I'm going to finish I'm going to finish this podcast about that. Uh, I wrote a book, and it was it was published, and it's out there uh, last year. And yes, I earn royalties on that book. That book was designed to help sportsmen and women. If you have a copy, you know that. Um, all royalties on that book were paid to Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry last year. So I made zero. So please don't act like we're doing this to further an agenda or push something left or right. We're going to call it like we see it. Ben is a baseball coach. It's either a strike or a ball, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to call it that way. And we're not going to make a nickel doing it. We're going to pay out of our pocket to host this podcast on a hosting system and to pay for the equipment, to the, all the audio equipment, et cetera, et cetera, because we want to make Kentucky better. So there it is. Ben, you got any closing remarks? I don't think so. Like I said, I think we, we knocked rust off and uh, we're ready to get back at it now. Appreciate, yeah, I love it too, man. Appreciate you, brother, and um, and we're gonna try to do this as often as we can. Um, we've already got recommendations from two of the most prominent leaders in the in the conservation community for the next two shows for the theme of the next two shows. But if you would like to nominate a theme for a show, or you just have questions, again, Ranger, R A N G E R at theslowhunt.com. Or Bishop, like the chess piece, Ben Bishop. Bishop, just Bishop at theslowhunt.com. All right, guys. Appreciate you, Ben. Yep, thank you. All right, man. We're logging off. Wow.